This week I'm joined by Ol Biao, who is the author of Poker, the Parody of Capitalism, and Parallax of Growth, the Philosophy of Ecology and Economy. He's also an associate professor at the Copenhagen Business School. In this episode, we discuss his book, Making Money, The Philosophy of Crisis Capitalism, alongside such topics as ontology, money, being, and the work of Martin Heidegger and Slavoj Žižek. I would like to thank all my patrons for making Hermitics possible, and if you would like to support Hermitics podcast or become part of the Hermitics community, please find our Patreon, donation, merchandise, and Discord links in the description below. Enjoy. Uh, Ol Biao, uh, thanks for joining us on Hermitics Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so we're going to be speaking about your book, which was published uh, in 2014, I believe, Making Money, The Philosophy of Crisis Capitalism. Yes. And um, this work interested me because my master's was continental philosophy, but I was also interested in capitalism. My, my dissertation was largely on capitalism, but there was very few... Uh, should we say, economically centred books, which are also treating continental philosophy serious within that domain. So the two two primary thinkers you're using are Heidegger and Zizek, but we'll get on to them. So firstly, uh, a bit about you, uh, what it is you do, and what, uh, what, are your, what are your interests? So when I wrote the book, my interests were exactly the things you mentioned. I mean, the book for me uh, was a way of, for me, it was kind of a way to find my own way into understanding the economic situation at the time and just understanding economics generally. Um, I come from a background of sociology, but I think I've always felt that economics or understanding the economy was crucial to understanding what was going on in the world. And then at the same time, uh, most of the economics we were presented with when I was a student and also afterwards was ah, some version of Marxism. And there's a lot of good things to be said about Marxism, but it's not a very, to me, it's not, it's not a very good way of sort of understanding the nitty-gritty or technical details of what's going on in international banking, what's going on, what's a central bank, what's, I mean, all of that kind of questions is um, so. So yeah. So the book for me was a way of like yeah, finding my own path into that space. Um, and also, actually, I'm I'm really happy about your presentation because the book was written exact exactly for people like you, <laughs> who yeah, who also had that dual interest. And because I found that among many of my colleagues and students, there were a lot of a lot of people were very sort of, and still are sort of, they wanted to credit, they were unhappy with the way things were going and they wanted to criticize what was going on. But then at the same time, I felt that a lot of the criticism I heard, it didn't quite hit the mark because it was just too, it was too general. It was like, oh, capitalism is bad. It exploits people. It's like, yeah, fine. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so it's also like an invitation to other people. Come over here. Let's look at the money system. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. Hmm? Do you mind if I ask where, what is your, if you have one, what's your preferred, what would be your preferred economic reality? 
I thought you were going to ask about my preferred pronoun. <laughs> so, uh, no. Um, so, so my preferred economic reality, was that what you asked about? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, oh, that's a really good question. But I, and I'm afraid I don't have a very fleshy, I do have one kind of answer, but it's not going to. So yesterday, I, um, I started the day doing uh, some surfing and then I I was then I spent some time with my son and with my parents and then in the evening I was uh, reading I'm I'm, I'm uh, studying something called uh, constellations work at the moment so I was kind of studying that and reading that and stuff and I remember thinking wow this has just been a perfect day like doing all these kinds of different things and I was kind of reminded of, I, I guess that's kind of what Marx hints at when he says, oh, in the morning we can be surfers and in the afternoon we can be family people and in the evening we can study or something along those lines. So in my little mini universe, that would be the, that would be the, <laughs> that would be the ideal economic reality. But I don't know, it, it doesn't really answer your question, but. Um, Maybe what I meant was, is are you as anti-capitalist as the you know most people in the the academy no i don't think i am uh for but partly because i i'm not sure capitalism is a very good term to describe our current economic reality i think in some ways one of the uh i mean obviously i'm inspired by a lot of writers but one economic writer that i'm I'm very inspired by is a guy called Michael Hudson. Mm -hmm. He's an economic historian. So what he says, he says that the, the a lot of the structures or, or a lot of what's going on at the moment in our economy, he refers to that as uh, financial neo-feudalism. So what he's saying, so he, what he's saying is the problem today is not capitalism. The problem today is feudalism, which is something we kind of didn't we leave that behind two year, 200 years ago. Uh, well, to some extent we did, but at the same time, some things we didn't quite get rid of. And now it seems to be blossoming again, these sort of feudal structures. And what, what, what do I mean by feudal or what does he mean by feudal structures? Well, first of all, you can look at the banking system. Although if you're just like sort of a classic, you know, like sociology, like myself or whatever, you just, oh, yeah, banks, capitalism, bad, bad, bad. But when you look closer at banks, I'm not really sure they're so capitalist after all. They're, they're, most of the business model is based on the fact that on the one hand, they kind of have this privileged access to the central bank, which is a public institution we can discuss kind of the constitution of that as well, but it is, a, a, in many senses, a, a public institution. And then, on the other hand, um, they've also sort of got this privilege that every all citizens in the economy are forced to pay their taxes in bank money, right? So that's not very capitalist. That's, that's like, a, it's more like a feudal lord who's sort of receiving these privileges from the king, in a sense, right? And if if they if they didn't have these privileges, if if we weren't if we could pay our taxes in different kinds of money, 
if they had no privileged access to the central bank, if they had not this, 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 this. I'm not sure if banks would survive today, or I, I don't think they would, at least not in the form that they have right now. So in that sense, I think using, so, so capitalism is not a very good description of what's going on in the banking system. So, um, yeah, so in that sense, uh, I'd probably, I mean, if I were to rewrite the book, I, pro I, I think I would tone down my use of the word capitalism. So, um, okay. I think we'll uh, probably dip back into that but before we get too deep in. I do need to mm -hmm. ask you the, uh, the hermetics question. If you can place three thinkers, living or dead, in a room and listen in on the conversation, uh, which, which three do you pick? Uh, can I pick Jesus? Yeah, of course. Yeah, anyone, yeah. Ah, okay, so Jesus. Uh, I wanna, I'd like to hear what he had to say. Are you, yeah. are you Christian? I think I'm more Christian than I am any of the other ones. I'm definitely more Christian than I'm Muslim. And Jew is just that. I mean, I can't be Jew, so, uh, so, and I can't really come any up with anything else that I am more than Christian. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, but I think on the sort of Christian scale, I don't know how high I am. There's a lot of people who are more Christian than I am, but also a lot who are less. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so Jesus, he would be there, and it has to be thinkers. There's no, this no, no, no. It, it could be, it could be pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I should. Yeah, when I was a boy, I was very fond of Ellen Simonsen, which is a Danish football player. But I'm not. <laughs> I don't. I'm not too sure. Yes, very interesting thoughts on contemporary capitalism. Uh, oh, uh, okay. So Jesus, probably not. Yeah, not Ellen Simonsen. I guess Heidegger. But then at this, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure Heidegger is so fun to be around. Really. No, it didn't sound like it. No, I mean, I've, I love, I mean, at the, of his sign on side, I think it's the book that's just meant the most to me ever, I think. Um, so, but, but again, I was, I'm actually, at the moment, I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing another book at the moment. And in that book, I've used a lot of Heidegger, but I also use Kierkegaard. Mm -hmm. And Kierkegaard, he's much more, so I, th I think, yeah, I probably, Kierkegaard, probably more, I think he's more fun in a way. Uh... Yeah, well, fun to be around at least. Yeah. And Christine Lagarde from the ECB. Uh, who's that? She's, yeah, she's the new director of the ECB, of the European Central Bank. Oh right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'm sort of on the fence with her. I think that's. I, I've seen her seen. I've seen her say some really, really good things. Um, and then at the same time, I'm not very. Uh, yeah, I, I'm skeptical. I have healthy skepticism towards the European Central Bank. Okay, so yeah, let, we need to move on. So Jesus, <laughs> Kierkegaard, and Christine Lagarde, they would be my three. Okay. So you'd yeah. use, you would use um, sort of existential thinkers to potentially solve a contemporary problem. Do you, do you think that they, Kierkegaard and Heidegger would have much to say to, uh, you know, about talk, talk about with regards to the ECB? I'd be curious to hear what they would say, uh, but I'd also be curious to see how Christine Lagarde would react to Jesus. Uh, okay, sorry, yeah, Jesus and Kierkegaard. Yeah, so I guess I mean, with you, I, I guess you can ask him anything, isn't it? Uh, doesn't he know everything? Or hopefully, hopefully he'd help yeah. out. 
Yeah, it's a good question, and I I'm not sure I'm doing it justice. I, I, uh, well, I think uh, I think meeting Jesus would you know that does it justice already, right? Yeah, I, I guess that was it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get the chance to meet someone, um, wouldn't you want to meet? I mean, wouldn't he be your first pick? Yeah, unless unless yeah. you're of another religion. Okay, hope uh, maybe okay. maybe uh, I'm sure uh, Christina will come back in, and maybe Jesus will come back in. Maybe we'll we'll see the light like halfway through, and we'll realize why you picked Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Let's so why, yeah. Why did you primarily use Heidegger and Zizek in uh, making money? Uh, as opposed to other thinkers. Yeah. Were there any others uh, who came up who you thought, hmm, these might be able to? Yeah. There was. So first of all, there was this. So. First of all, I was kind of thinking, okay, so in this book, I'm going to kind of bridge theories about money and economy with continental philosophy. That in itself is a like a, a, a quite a task. So I can't afford to also kind of open up the space of philosophy in itself. So I can't have like, oh, let's discuss the difference between Heidegger's phenomenology and Husserl's phenomenology. That would just be like, no, 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 no. So I kind of, I knew that I had to kind of restrict myself there. And, and in fact, I kind of, I, I think the, the game was, I would just decide on Zizek at the moment. He was kind of my main vehicle for thinking. So, so that's kind of the, the, I think the, the rules of the game that I set myself was I could only use Zizek. But then the way I use Heidegger is also merely just to open the question. Mm-hmm. I don't use him so much as we get into the to the book itself. Uh, I don't think he's there so much. So it's basically what I take from him is it's this well it's it's this ontological question of money, but then it's also just his this notion of science vergessenheit, which I really like. This idea that we kind of forgotten about this question of yeah, being in his case, but and in this case, money. Yeah, so so the but I I'm sure I could have picked a lot of others, and I also think in retrospect, maybe I could have even written the book without Shishi, or I could have. I mean, Shishi was necessary for me as like a vehicle to understand this field. But sort of afterwards, I could I think I could have like you know like Wittgenstein says this idea about throwing away the ladder after you've climbed it. That's kind of how he thinks about his own philosophy. And in, and I've kind of played around with that thought about whether I would be able to do that with Zizek, uh, sort of kick him away after I kind of had understand, uh, used him to understand money. Okay. Um, yeah. Sure. But so with Heidegger, this is sort of the, the big problem of, well, the, this, the book starts with this big problem where you reverse. Um, so Heidegger had this, He's moving on from Descartes, who says, I think, therefore, I am. So Heidegger then says, well, what the hell is am? What is being? And yeah. how is being? And yeah. you, the, the problem with Descartes is a definitional problem. It's like if you just keep redefining being, you're getting nowhere, which is the, the same problem which you say is happening with money. So we can say, well, $100 equals $100. Or mm. uh, gold, a certain amount of gold equals a certain amount of money. But mm. the point you point out this is sort of a loop you're not getting anywhere and you're actually mm. talking about value in itself so you, then you ask um you know how is money we're talking yeah. about the very being of money we're talking about the ontology of money 
And so why do you think that this question is important as opposed to what is money to how is money? The question what is money is an is a very imprecise question. So it leads you when 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 you ask this question this is it is kind of the standard question, right? And then when you ask it people think they know what the question means, but they will come up with different types of answers. Some will say someone say will say something like oh yeah, well money is uh, money is something we use to because otherwise we would have to have a barter economy. So it's like a technical thing. Others will say, or even the same people will say, uh, yeah, well, money is ultimately gold. And then some people will say, which is the worst answer, they will say something like, yeah, money is trust. And then when they say that, when people say money is trust, they kind of say it as if they've said something extremely profound. Uh, and I'm like, ah, that's not profound. And it's not even true. I mean, uh, the tax, our tax, taxes is not based on trust. It's based on force. Okay, so anyway, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the problem with this question, what is money, is that it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's imprecise. So what I want to do is uh, ask another question, which, of course, I mean, in itself, how, so the question is, how is money? So I write the is with italics to sort of emphasize that. How is money uh, is, of course, in and of itself, maybe not so precise. But then I do a lot to kind of say, what do I actually mean by this? Um, so, and in fact, sometimes you can also say, well, in many ways, or in some ways, the question of what is money, when, when we look at the theories of money, we actually find that's kind of, a big part of the analysis I do in the book is that I, I identify three different answers to this question. So the one is this gold story. Oh, it used to be gold, blah, blah, blah. Bada economy, blah, blah, blah. So that's one. The other one is, uh, well, money is whatever the state decides should be money. Or money is when the state creates money out of nothing and then the final one is something along the lines of is money is debt so i kind of identify these three answers so they are three different answers to the question of what is money and um in all three of them have something true in them there's something in but neither of them exhausts the question of what money is so what i try to do is to say well the answer to the question, how is money, is found in some sort of interaction between these three other answers. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that made it more clear. I also, another thing that gets lost when you just ask this, what is money, is you're not, it's not quite clear. What are we asking? Are we asking about sort of the eternal essence of money or are we asking about the specific contemporary uh, constitution of money that's not clear um, and and it also in in a lot of the discussions about money it it also tends to get mixed up you even have i mean there's even a lot of people who still think that we're on some sort of a gold standard and you might say well that's because they are uneducated they don't know and which to some extent you can say well it's true i mean there isn't a gold standard but i think there's also it also has to do with there's an element of their mind 
which kind of resists this idea that you can just create money out of nothing, that there's no m- value backing it ultimately. And in some sense, they are actually true that there needs to be something backing the money. However, it doesn't necessarily have to be on a day-to-day basis. Like, for instance, the U.S. dollars, there's nothing really backing the U.S. Well, or maybe there is or maybe there isn't. But I think at some point in the not-so-distant future, we are going to see what's, what happens with a currency which is backed by nothing. Or uh, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit here, I think. So anyway, what I what I do what I do want to mention is that this question of how is money, I also I say in the second half of the book I say let's ask the question of how is money today, and then of course there's a I also play on the meaning of how is money is both, it sort of refers to so what is the constitution of money how is, how how is this system designed on the one hand, but there's also an element of the if I were to ask how are you, how are you James. I'm not asking, you, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm uh, made up of 80% water and some DNA or whatever it is. I mean, we know what I'm asking about. And in a sense, that's also a question that I'm trying to sort of open in the book is, how is this actually going with our money system? How is it? Uh, at the moment, it's not, it, it's not very good, <laughs> I can say. So, uh, yeah. Okay, and this difference between uh the, the the first question you know what is money and um how is money this you point out that in terms of market trading you can have this difference uh for heidegger between the ontic and the ontological or being and then being um yeah so ontic would be like regular market trading as we understand it in the first question you know what is market trading well we'd understand that in the ontic sense so then yeah. what what <laughs> It's a difficult question. I think it's sort of an ontological one and an epistemological one. Mm-hmm. How how would you describe um, onto, the ontology of market trading? What's going on there in terms ah. of the, the being? Because this is where you bring wow. in, this is where you bring in Zizek, right? And this notions yeah. of design. I think you're adding something to my. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I need to credit you here. You're adding. To, I I don't think I I I don't think I. It's a very good question, and I'm not. Sure, I know where you're going with it, but uh, yeah, but you're also pointing a little bit uh, beyond the text, which is nice. So yeah, I do say something about trading. So in so in standards sort of financial theory, you would say that the price is whatever a buyer and a seller can agree on, mm-hmm. and then what happens with uh, what happens in 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 finance theory. Most finance theory, especially mainstream finance theory, is that there's a they they fail they cannot distinguish between price and value. So this whole idea of the efficient market hypothesis is, or this idea of efficient markets is that markets have this magical ability to price everything mm-hmm. at at its correct value. So things have the value which the market sort of sets. The problem with this idea there's plenty of problems with it but but sort of the ontological problem with this is that well if this were actually true there would be no trading mm-hmm. because if a buyer and a seller they agree they may agree on the price yes but they must disagree on the value mm-hmm. 
if they don't disagree on the if they if they so if, let's say there's a financial asset and the and the price is a hundred dollars or the buyer and the seller they agree on a price of a hundred dollars well then the seller if the seller didn't believe that the true value of this asset was below 100 mm-hmm. he wouldn't sell it mm-hmm. and if the buyer didn't think that the true value of this asset was more than a hundred dollars he wouldn't buy it so if if both of them thought yes the true value of this asset is precisely a hundred dollars there wouldn't be no reason for them to go through the hassle of trading it mm-hmm. so so there is this in a sense this is kind of also what fits with Zizek's idea of trauma right there's something that's kind of his idea of the subject is that there's always something that's kind of doesn't quite fit together mm-hmm. there's always something that's traumatic or something like that and that's what constitutes the subject that's what makes us get up in the morning or that's that's kind of what yeah that's that's what that's what makes us subjects in the first place is this mm-hmm. and it's the same with the market there is this thing that doesn't fit which is value this elusive notion of uh, value so anyway so to answer your question yeah that would be my that would be i would say that's the ontological question or the ontological constitution of the market is this constant disagreement on value and then a constant agreement on price and the first one tends to get lost in a way in uh, the way we tend to talk about markets i think it's it's one of the major flaws in economics today not just finance but any branch of economics is the failure to distinguish between price and value. Yeah, it's well, it's also what you find. It's also one of the way, one of the reasons why mainstream economics they can't really, they don't really know what to do about nature. They don't, they don't know what to do about oh, there's no more fish in the sea. There's no more all these kind of problems, because they can't. They can. The only thing they can see is prices. They can't see value, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so this, this uh, what you describe as a trauma, the thing that doesn't fit, this is sort mm. of where I read that for Zizek or Zizek um, being influenced by Lacan is where the lack comes in. So there's this thing which we are sort of mm. perpetually searching for, which we can't put our finger on. Mm. Uh, you know, our what Lacan calls uh, the object petit A, and it's like a pure void. You know, we can't, we can't find it, but we're always going for it. So that's why we need a market. Yeah. So this price is put on something that we can't find. But in yeah. this way, um, the market's sort of using us, you know, just to, to drive itself. It's it's the market only works. I think you 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 do state this a few times. The market only works because there is a nothingness for it to play around with. Yeah. So it's 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 yeah. using our sort of almost ab- abusing our uh, our desire, which we have no clue what it is. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Although it's really it's funny to have this conversation because it, I mean it 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 it, it it's it's been a, I mean it's six years since the book came out, mm-hmm. and it's probably seven or eight years since I some of the text at least is seven to eight maybe nine years old. So uh, there's some things where I've kind of moved a little bit, and in, as I now I I get my own back <laughs> words back <laughs> in my face, which is really 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 good. It's a it's a huge privilege. But you're, well, you're you're so welcome, anyway, you're welcome to yeah. to 
you know, talk about what yeah, progressions yeah, yeah. have, have yeah, come yeah. since. It's just now that I listen to it, there's something about the way that we subs- give, and I, I've probably done that myself in the book, uh, I'm sure, sort of give agency to the market itself. You're kind of saying, oh, the, the, so the market is using us and all this. And I think I've come to, I think it's one of the places where I've moved a little bit, where I think that the more we think about, the more we talk about the market or capitalism in those terms, the more we're also disempowering ourselves in a way. There's something in that, um, and, and I think we we talked about Marx in the beginning. I think that's that's one of the ways, one of the places where I think Marxism or many Marxists they kind of go wrong in a way. Uh, they are. It's a little bit like um, I, I kind of feel the same way about um, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, I, I I like conspiracy theories. I like both the ones that are true, and I also like the ones that aren't true. <laughs> But because but but what I really do like about them is that they kind of insist on asking these fundamental questions, maybe not ontological questions, but fundamentally anti questions. Um, so, but what I don't like are the things sometimes where I where I kind of pull off with some conspiracies is when when you kind of get the impression that the oh the, that the conspiracy is so big and so all encompassing that there's nothing we can do about it. That I don't like because it's kind of disempowering us. Then I think, well, then we might as well just die or join the conspiracy or whatever. We, if you can, I don't know if that's possible even. But um, and I feel the same way about Marxism sometimes. Is that if we sort of perpetuate or this this oh yeah capitalism everywhere all pervasive blah 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 or or we could also say neoliberalism it's everywhere blah 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 blah. Then it's then there's nothing you can do about it. So it just it 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 sort of sucks energy out of you. Yeah, it's like a vampire in a sense. So um, okay, anyway, and I was yeah. Uh, that's just kind of what struck me when you you said this thing about the market abusing us because I I must say so you asked also about my what is my preferred economic reality. In many ways, I mean, there's parts about the market to the extent that we can even talk about or markets that's also great i think there's some great things about markets but i think the problem is that many of the markets that we have today they're not free first of all there there's monopolies and there's all kinds of yeah so but there there's something great just about this sort of basic feature of people coming together and Oh, I can do this. Ah, oh, I can do that, and then they trade and stuff. I, 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 there's something good about that. But your, so your question was about, ah, yeah, it was it was actually about Lacan and Cisse, wasn't it? Yeah, about this uh, void. Yeah, so uh, the market using our desire. But yeah. one thing, while you're on that that tangent though of all encompassing things, I do just want to bring in this quote from you. <laughs> now, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Get my and, medicine um, here. Thank you. Maybe uh, hopefully you've moved. Maybe you've moved from this because you say um, the difference of opinion in today's political landscape is measured not by whether you are for or against capitalism, but how you are for capitalism. So do you think that? Ah. So then you were saying that basically capitalism's got everyone. Maybe that's what you're saying. And it's the ways in which we work with it, but we're all still working with it. Do you think now that there are 
people outside of capitalism then or systems that are I are... think it's I think I would actually if I were to rewrite it or I would say the exact same thing but diff- but opposite I would say so the 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 difference of opinion in today's political landscape is not measured by whether you're for or against capitalism but how you are against capitalism I think that that's one when I look at the political landscape today, that's one of the things that really strikes me is that most, if not all, political positions today kind of define themselves as being on the defensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are kind of, they, they define themselves as being, if not victims, then at least sort of, they may not be, they may not all of them be against the system. However, they all have the sense that the system is against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. So I was, I don't know, I'm, I'm digressing again here, but I need to say that, that, so yesterday there was a demonstration in Copenhagen with this on this Black, Black Lives Matter thing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in, sitting here in my summer house at the other end of the country, so uh, it's not something I was, yeah. And first of all, I don't understand it. I, I, I mean, yes, I mean it's bad. Of course, I mean, they shouldn't have killed this guy, and and the guy who did it, of course, he should be punished. No question about it. And this blah blah blah. But anyway, so what happened is a lot of people come together, and the police was there, and everything was calm. And then afterwards, I saw that there was a, this tweet from the police saying, "Oh, everyone behaved really good, and thank you." And other, where I was like, okay, so who, so who's against this, or where's the I, maybe I can see some of it in, in the U.S., certainly. But in Denmark, I don't get it, to be honest. But they, but, but and, and at the same time, the people in this demonstration have this sense that the system is against them. Mm-hmm. Now we're standing up to the system. But I don't – what part of the system is it that is against you? The police are even tweeting out saying how great you are. I mean, yeah, I don't get – and there's a lot of that. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of that uh, going on, where and but also on the on the to the extent that I th- I think it's safe to say that the Black Lives Matter is probably more of a left thing, um, but also on the right, which is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, is that among conservatives and liberals, there is also there, there's also this idea that the system is against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they are um, sort of the sort of core values are being discarded, basic free uh, freedom rights are being taken away and stuff like that. So I've kind of asked myself where I was also thinking. I imagine so I said so I mentioned conspiracy theories. Imagine that there's whatever the I don't let's say the conspiracy. Let's say it's the what it, what it could be like the Bilderberg or whatever they <laughs> whatever they're called or the lizards or whatever. But they they they, they probably have these meetings where all the lizards come together. So imagine all the lizards are sitting there, and I wonder if all the lizards or the shape shifting or whatever. So they sit there. I wonder if they're thinking saying the same things. Oh, the system is against <laughs> us, and they're against. Lizard lives matter, and uh, yeah, I wonder if if they if even the conspiracy even if the conspirator see finds that the system is against yeah. So it seems like all political positions today are kind of like the system is against us. 
maybe and maybe i'm just uh, yeah anyway that's uh, yeah no 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 I, I do understand what you're saying there, that 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 you could almost say the 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 ontology of capitalism is one where i think if you've read any uh, deleuze or guattari they go on about this that the ontology of capitalism capitalism itself constantly avoids definition which is why people have so many, so many problems with it because you can't yeah it, it will either use what you have or just not bother with it so it's yes. constantly evasive so, yeah so really there is it's sort of like the market problem again which you outline is all these people who are constantly protesting they're doing so from every different angle but they're all protesting against nothing that can be defined because they can't they can't none of these have specific yeah. aims it's always like yes. like you said down with the system it's like well, okay well what what's the system uh yeah. <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay well what's capitalism uh yeah. we don't really know it's the same with it's the same with feminism it's it, it's complete it's so it's it's impossible to debate feminism because it's like a it is itself a shape-shifting lizards it's i mean whenever you say something you'll just shape and say yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a feminist, but I'm not that kind of. And then, it's, it's. I think feminism even more evasive or elusive than capitalism. Uh, yeah. So, but yes, yeah, too. I think that's also what I what I like about Michael Hudson is that he just then turns it around. That that's that, that I, I I. So what he's saying, he says. So in in a sense, you could kind of say what well, he's he's saying. The problem with capitalism is that it's not capitalist. So he kind of throws it, throws it back at them. Mm-hmm. And then he says the, the problem, and he redefines the problem. He says the problem isn't capitalism. The problem is feudalism. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, whoa. Yeah, that I really like. I think that's, that, that, there's really some power in that. There's a, I was actually, um, you asked about other philosophers, why there weren't other philosophers, or if there were other Actually, when, before I wrote the money book, I wrote a book about poker. Mm-hmm. And in, I also used Shizik for that one. But I also used Boudreau. Uh, Boudreau, Jean Boudreau. Oh, uh, John Boudreau, yeah. Yeah. And he has this idea of critique that I really like where he says, so critique, what you need to do is you kind of first you need to figure out the logic of whatever you're critiquing, the logic of that system. Instead of then going against that, going in opposition to it, saying, oh, here's capitalism. Now I found out what it, how it's working. I'm anti-capitalist. I don't want to, like, then you should, instead, you should accelerate that logic. This yeah, is, you ex- This is exactly what I wrote my thesis on, acceleration. Oh, <laughs> Excel- wow. Accelerating capitalism until, you know, to push it to the limit. Because every, what you're on about, what Bojo is on about, if you go back, yeah, capitalism will always subsume that back into the system in some form. Yeah, so, you know, and there's there's tons of thinkers. I mean, uh, Nietzsche was actually the first to mention accelerating. Wow. He doesn't specifically go on accelerating capitalism, but then Deleuze and Guattari uh, specifically state accelerate the process of capitalism. So, what what was your conclusion of why that should be done in um, the book on poker? I was not saying it should be. I was saying <laughs> that's what that, I, I was saying that's what poker is doing. I was kind of trying to tease out sort of the critical elements of poker. Mm-hmm. It's so the, the book was called uh, Poker, and then the subtitle was uh, uh, a parody of the parody of capitalism. So the idea was that poker was is kind of this. It's making a mock out of capitalism mm-hmm. in the sense that it's kind of saying, I don't know if you can. Do you remember that? Do you know, do you remember Crocodile Dundee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that scene 
where he so he 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 goes he travels to whatever Lele or New York some some and then he runs around this blonde woman, and then this um this thug this gangster this sort of street guy he comes up to him with a knife and threatens them with a knife sort of a yeah just a little knife, and she, and of course the woman is like oh Dundee crap give him your money and then Craig uh, like he's completely cool. And then he pulls out this jungle knife or this kind of like a half. And then he says, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And then he pulls out this long, huge. And it, in a sense, that's kind of what poker says to capitalism. It kind of says, that's not capitalism. This is capitalism. <laughs> and in a sense, poker is, yeah, in a sense, if, 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 if capitalism was actually capitalism, I think it would look more like poker. It's more like the, 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 the rules are clear. Uh, there's no, there's an element of chance, but it's the same for everyone, and blah 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 blah. There's some, there's an, there's an honesty to poker, which I don't think you find in, like the banking system, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I mean, if you go into a big game of poker and you lose your money, I mean, you go in there and you know there's a risk. I'm gonna lose my money. That's kind of, that's what it is, and you lose it, and then you take it as a man, and then you leave. But if you buy a house, for instance, and get a loan or do other kinds of interactions with a bank, it's not like they kind of pretend that you can't lose or, and then it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's much more sort of weird. And then you have the state actor also uh, in capital. Uh, uh, anyway, we're again, it's interesting. So the, the, the rules of capitalism then are tied up with, desire bureaucracy other forms of government procedure which get in the way so and debt and things like that whereas the rules of poker yeah. are like super clear cut yeah and and poker in a way does what capitalism wants to do which is poker acts like a test kit like does this hand yeah. work yes no yes. won't use that again does this yes. hand work yes yes and then you refine and you refine yes. and there's different strategies like i was really into poker for a long time so there's like doyle brunson going yeah, really, yeah, yeah, really, really hard Aww. in. Like, uh, what was his technique? What was Doyle's? Doyle's technique was like, if you're going in, bet loads, and then there's, um, I can't remember the guy who could read cards really well, but but still within that is clear cut. Whereas, ah, uh, yeah. Whereas the, te- the capitalism itself testing things is caught up in yeah. desire and that kind of thing. So how would <laughs> how would we change there's, capitalism? There's, there's another the thing system? about there's another thing about mm-hmm. poker and capitalism. Is that in poker? Poker develops your character. It's there's there's something about, and it also shows your character in a sense. It it kind of shows the way you, the way you win, the way you lose, and that's not to say. I mean, there's a lot of poker, just like anyone. I mean, a lot of the 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 assholes, some of them, and some of them are not or something. But there's an there's a display of character in that. Your kind of true color show. That's not the same in capitalism. There's there's ways of making money in capitalism where you don't really kind of show your character or, and you have these. Anyway, I'm, maybe I'm. I, I just got. Uh, I remember when I wrote the poker book. I was. I think it's the book I've written where I had the most fun writing. Mm-hmm. There's just, and that's not to say there's also human tragedy in poker and stuff. That that's not. But still, there's something about this. There's a purity of that game 
or, or even a games as such, there's a, there's a purity and a playfulness and something like that. And I think, you know, coming back to this for or against capitalism, I think my problem with capitalism is I think there's a potential for that. in cap- There's certainly some of that in capitalism. Of course, there's, there's innovation, entrepreneurship, all these kinds of things. Uh, but I think we have there's too many things which sort of block that or goes against that. Take the EU, for instance. So the EU, the idea of the EU was, oh, yeah, let's expand this free market, all this blah, blah, blah. And what we have now is this bureaucratic monster without any pure political leadership and all these rules and all these, and now all the ECB and this this currency, which is a complete failure. And it's, and, and to me, it's kind of doing the, it's not bringing out the best in capitalism. It's doing the opposite. It's, 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 it's bringing out sort of the worst, that the, sort of this feudalist elements in capitalism is it, it, sort of brought to the fore by institutions like that. So, um, yeah, we should organize the EU as a poker, big poker game instead. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So really you're, you're along the lines of those people who say that we, we haven't really seen capitalism yet. We've just seen like a bastardized form of it. Yeah, it's yeah. that's a version of the, the, the kind of like, yeah, we haven't seen socialism yet. I think we've seen some of it. Uh, and I think, but I also, I'm, I'm also not sure to what extent that question even in what context would that question make sense? Or why, why, or why would we be, I mean, why would we be interested in answering that question? Well, I think it'd be, well, I guess on the, the general level, I think would be that there's an assumed responsibility for the system which governs you to give you a better standard of living. So you could argue that increased capitalism would give a better standard of living. Uh, whereas, whereas socialists would argue that socialism gives a better standard of living Maybe that's a bit of a utilitarian argument, but um, yeah, that would be my, my yeah thing. Is if you don't hinder it, we'll have you know greater productivity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, yeah, it's uh, I don't know if I'm getting. I'm also a little bit older than when I wrote the book. Maybe I'm getting a little bit too pragmatic here. But it, my problem again, I think it, my problem is so after I wrote the money book, I wrote a book about growth. So. It was called. It was a terrible title. I regret it. it. It was called the Parallax of Growth. You can't even. It's like sort of yeah, but it's a good book. Uh, it's a good book, but it's a terrible title. And the reason I wrote that book was I was kind of. It was again. I wanted to understand growth, and I wanted to also understand or say something about this sort of what's this deal about climate crisis and all this. But then, and as I was writing the book, I, I think I was kind of becoming i was sort of critical towards the idea of growth no we shouldn't have growth we should have degrowth but then after i'd written the book i sort of came to the conclusion that it the question of whether we should have growth or no growth or degrowth it doesn't make sense to me anymore because i don't know what growth is it's just too elusive and i kind of think i feel the same way about capitalism mm. is that it's just or, or at least in terms of describing the society, it's I, I don't I, I think that the concept is is becoming less and less relevant. Look at the what's happening now, the corona crisis. How on earth can you why would you I mean you know, does it help you to start 
a conversation about what the corona crisis, what that means. Does it make sense to start that conversation with a question that involves the word capitalism? I, I, I'd actually, I'm curious. I know, I know you, you are interviewing me, but uh, what, what would you think about? How would you make sense of the corona crisis in terms of capitalism or something that had something to do with capitalism? Um, I mean, I, I usually attend these things from like Deleuze and Guattari's point of view. So I would say that capitalism would understand that and find all the potential from it. So in terms of productivity, we realize that actually a lot of people can work from home now. The capitalism would understand that and that would that would then become the, the constant. So I think after coronavirus, more people will work at home because it's there's greater productivity and less resource output. But like no one need, less people need to drive and less people need to... Um, but you can also understand from the coronavirus like where people's priorities are, right? So what sales go up, what sales go down, like what do people really, really want, you know? Um, so that would be my reading is that capitalism would just learn from it like it does any other event. But then once again, this is the problem of ontology because I'm just sort of saying capitalism and it's like, it's like I'm almost talking about it like it's a, a being. Or a, yeah, that's, or, yeah, that's... But I, I, I like to think of it as it's like an intelligence. There is a, some form of intelligence going on there as like an assemblage. There's no like unified being, but there's something that is learning. That would be my reading. Yeah, I kind of get that. I, I kind of get that. And I, I, and I also do think that there are elements of that, but at the same time, also there's two things. The one is I don't know, I don't understand what capitalism wants with us. Why would it want that? And also, when you say, "Well, then we can all work from home and we will be more productive," and then I have to, this is said in a, a closed circle, but we're not doing anything. <laughs> Most of, we're not doing it. I mean, if I look at my own work, what am I doing? I mean, or yeah, of course, I mean, I break it, and now I'm when I'm done with this, I'm gonna read some uh, 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 essays that my students have written, and and that's meaningful, and I love my students, and uh, they put a lot of work in this, and it's it's great. So, so so that's but but at the same time, it's all I mean, but from the point of view of capitalism as this sort of higher being, does it really care whether I? Re- whether I grade more student essays or not, that that I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's. I think it's also one of the. It's it's also where it's also one of the things that kind of puzzles me with conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. or there's these all these accounts of oh this doesn't fit or this doesn't work or this is they say this but this is really what's blah blah blah, um, and I, th- I, I a lot of the. Well, yeah, they're absolutely right about some of it, and then some of it is a little bit off the mark. But there's one key question, which I don't think any conspiracy theorists have a good answer to, is what does the conspiracists, what do they want with us? What is the end game? Why, why, I go, what, what, why are they, I mean, okay, let's say they fake the moon landing, for instance. Why, why, would, they, why would they go through all of the trouble of faking the moon what, what, what 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 do they want with me? Or what is the end game? Oh yeah, so we faked the moon landing, we killed this guy, and we whatever they've done. Yeah, I get that. I yeah, but what is the end game? I don't understand that. And because also because let's say they are these shape shifting lizards. Well, why do they? If they could just kill us, then I mean, if you can 
if you can turn yourself into a lizard, I'm sure you can just kill me with a stroke of a, I mean, why don't they just do that immediately? Okay, I'm digressing here, but, but it's still <laughs> relevant because I, I think that, I think maybe it's because I think there's a, there's a, there's a homology between some elements of, between Marxism and even Deleuzeanism or whatever you like to call it mm-hmm. and conspiracy theories. Okay. In the sense that you, there's the, that you, you kind of say, there's this, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's this, you turn capitalism into this agent that kind of has a, it has a plan, it has tactics, it has a strategy, it has, it, and it, it seems to have a will of its own. Uh, but what I don't get is what does, what does it want with me? Um, what does capitalism want with me? And why does it even care? My argument there would be that you're viewing it from a human point of view. So notions of care would be entirely different capitalism. If it, I think like Deleuze and Guattari, they lean towards that all it wants is uh, increased growth. So it's like uh, positive oriented. So it's just uh, compound, you know, like pos- positive orientation. So it just builds itself over and over again. And that's all it would ever want is just to keep growing. So then, there's gro- an, then there's a yeah, and then you get back to the question: What is growth? Yeah, growth <laughs> or what? Because there's plenty of things that we get less of in capitalism. So ca- yes, capitalism is growing stuff. So, so the kind of the standard answer is: Oh, so capital? Well, it wants to grow money, or it wants more money. But I mean, I've studied money now for almost ten years. If that's what they wanted, they could just create it. Period. I mean, they don't know. They don't have to. I mean, in order for capitalism to grow money, it they has... don't have. They don't have to go to all of the trouble of whatever it's going on with the Corona th- virus, and I have to work from home and go all to that. All fake the moon landing, what, whatever it is. Oh, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm mixing things up here, but they can just if they if that's what all they wanted. If, if they were just out to get as much money as they could, um, they could just create it. But then, but then that does come back to the fundamental question in your book, which is like, if they just created money, there would be an understanding. You know, it's like the uh, it's like when people just print money, you end up with hyperinflation. It's an understanding that the value underlying the money isn't growing itself. But then this is a question. If there's growth, then it would be a question of capitalism trying to grow the actual value. But then you'd have to define... What is valuable? Yeah, exactly. What so? What's valuable to capitalism? My my argument oh. would be intelligence, forms of intelligence. But what's the end? What's the end? What's the end game of capitalism then? Would you want to? Well, my theory goes. From yeah, yeah, a, yeah. I want to hear your take on it. <laughs> my theory goes from another philosopher called Nick Nick Land, who's written about this for years. Which is, instead of the means of production emancipating us, the means of production emancipates itself. And we're just left behind. The capitalism, like it's lit, quite literally, capitalism wants the singularity, like complete AI. But that's why it wants more and more ah. intelligence to develop AI, intelligence explosion. And what? Okay, okay. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get it. I and I, I certainly see it as a. It's a good way of. But then, when you get to that point, then what happens? When you get to singularity, mm. what what are they going to do with this? Well, that's when I think you get yeah. into uh, like re- conjecture because from our point of view, what they want just wouldn't make any sense, right? But then there's so many questions around AI. 
but this is this is fundamentally a question of ontology you know what does what does what does its being want what what is its being yeah. targeted towards like teleology is and uh the you know the end is just a question of ontology as well so do you think so here's a do you so people for for people who are into such ideas about capitalism mm-hmm. is it possible that yeah, this is a psychoanalytical uh, analysis of it but is it possible that what they really are hoping for is that there is actually something or someone out there who wants something from them. Well, this, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what you get into into your book. That capitalism gives uh, capitalism gives everyone that, doesn't it? They get, it gives people. It outlines what desire is. It gives you a very maybe, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm. Yeah. Don't say sorry because I'm interrupting you. So it's. Uh, <laughs> so it's, don't, yeah. But I'm I'm kind of thinking. So what if what if capitalism doesn't work the way Deleuze says? What if the problem is not that it wants everyone to do more? Mm-hmm. What if it's actually the other way around? That it's actually it's failing to do that. It doesn't want anything from. It, oh, there's a lot of people from whom capitalism doesn't want anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and then these people feel kind of disenfranchised or, or or more basically i mean imagine if you're if you're a person and no one wants anything from you i mean that's mm-hmm. that that's worse than death probably i mean mm-hmm. if you really feel yeah no one wants there's no one who wants anything from me that's terrible it's a terrible so i think so if and if you are in that situation, or if you at least if you just have that kind of feeling in you, maybe there's some form of constellation or uh, or uh, consolation in joining in in a critique or in an analysis saying, "Oh, capitalism! There's this capitalism that's very very interested in me. It wants everything from me." Blah 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 blah. It's a little bit like the same. So we have this critique of Facebook, for instance, and. Mm-hmm. Which I completely, I think it's, yeah, I hate Facebook. So, but on the one hand, there's these people who say, oh yeah, Facebook, it wants to sort of, it's 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 interested in my all my personal details and all this, and then maybe there's like a hidden desire for that, a hidden mm-hmm. desire for someone or something to actually be interested in my most intimate details. So the when you, when we go to you use the, the the symbolic, the real and the imaginary. Capitalism is like our grand symbol of meaning. Its mechanisms are what give us meaning, even even in abstract. So it's not actually the items of our desire that matters. It's the fact that at least we, at least someone is, at least this system is giving me something. You know, I'm, this system knows me, knows I exist. Yeah. That's something. Yes. Yeah. I would, so. So what's the real then? What's the real there? What's real? I, yeah, but I would, I would, prob- I, I don't, I, I would probably even relegate it to the domain of the imaginary. Mm-hmm. So capitalism is this imaginary big other supposed to be interested in all the disenfranchised young people who mm-hmm. don't know what the world wants from them. And 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 then what is the real here? I don't know. Some of the, it would, some of it would probably. I would. Yeah, we need to do the. <laughs> analysis i mean there would be some some of it would be this turning point 
between, on the one hand, me complaining about how capitalism want all this stuff from me, and then at the same time, me longing for capitalism or, or for someone or something to actually want something from me. Yeah, I can't help thinking that there's a... So in the university, which is kind of my world, or part of my world at least, there's this, there's this, on the one hand, there's this complaint that, oh, we need to publish so much, we have to write all these journal papers and all this stuff. So there's, on the one hand, there's this, there's this idea that, oh yeah, there's something, and some people call it neoliberalism or something like that. Oh, they want this, they want to pull out our, all our ideas out of us. And then at the same time, also in the US, there's a big sorrow about the fact that no one reads most of the texts that are written in the university are not written, are not read by anyone, or at least they're not read by anyone who's genuinely interested in the text, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, is, which is once you start actually not just thinking about that, but taking that in, it just makes you so sad. Yeah. So there's this dual thing, and I, I would I would kind of think that it, the the real would be sort of in in the intersection between those two lines, so to speak. I think I would need to think a little bit more about it. One question nearing the nearing the end here. Um, I noticed there was a video up. Uh, you commented on Bitcoin. Do you think that the, after all your research into finance mm. and money, do you think Bitcoin? Where do you stand on it? Do you think it might be the future of of money? That's a good. Question. I was into I was in, I was into Bitcoin for a while, and I, I actually uh, it's actually I will say this: you kind of think, oh, you can't make money on philosophy and blah blah blah, and you should go. To, I think that's it's one of the areas where I I have actually made money on philosophy. I mean, if it hadn't been for philosophy, I wouldn't have seen Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I saw it quite early, and I actually uh, bought some of them at an early point. I also screwed up a little bit because I wanted to <laughs> trade some of the other more funky uh, <laughs> cryptocurrencies. So, but I did, yeah, I, I, I did uh, make some money on it. I also had some sleepless nights. So, uh, so yeah. I was kind of, my, my, my old research in compulsive gambling sort of came back to me in the sense of, I could kind of say, no, 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 I need to get out of this uh, also. Anyway, that's, yeah. But does, do I think that Bitcoin is the future? I have no, I have no, I mean, with Bitcoin as such, as Bitcoin as Bitcoin, the, that specific currency, I have no clue what's going to happen to that. Oh, no, no, I mean, crypt, cryptocurrency. But, but I do yeah. think, yeah, I do think that there are, I'm sure that uh, some version, some cryptocurrencies are going to be key elements of a future monetary system. I'm sure. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, then we have this new cryptocurrency, which which is just going to be like the one currency to rule them all. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, th I think we, we will move to a more multipolar world, both in terms of uh, geopolitics, but also in terms of uh, currencies. So one of the, the, the reasons, most recent things I've seen is that now the now the uh, Chinese central bank are developing, they are developing a digital yuan. Mm. So, so they are, so what ha what's happening is that the People's Bank of China, I guess that's what their central bank is called, is opening its own balance sheet to everyone, basically. 
so that you can hold money directly with uh, digital money directly with the Chinese central bank. What what that's going to look like, we don't know that yet. But but and 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 also just to be. That's not a cryptocurrency. I mean, that's a state currency, obviously. But that's gonna. Ha- I think that's gonna happen, and then we're gonna see other reactions. I think I, for ten years I've been preaching that the dollar ha- will collapse, and it hasn't quite happened yet. But I, I will still preach it. I'm sure the dollar is gonna collapse at some point, and when that happens, that's gonna leave a vacuum to be filled with other things, and part of that vacuum is going to be filled with the China by the Chinese. I'm sure. If the Europeans could get their act together, they could all fill some of it. I, yeah, I doubt that's going to happen though. But then I could also see some of that space being filled by cryptocurrencies in some form or another. Uh, yeah. Um. So you say you're um working on a new book. Yes. Yeah. What's it on? And uh, is it is it out anytime soon? Yeah. Well, so the title of the book is called "The Question of Being Man." Okay. So it's um, I've, I just I, I'm I'm proofreading the final sixty pages now. So take so the book, like the content will be finished in a week, but it's uh, but then I just I just send it to a publisher, um, and they're looking at it. So it's uh, it, these things can uh, take some time, and it in many ways. I mean, on the one hand, you can kind of say, oh, weren't you the money guy and now what you're writing about men what's that but for me the two it's 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 not so far from the money book as you would think so it it uh, it actually also there's a lot of heidegger in it and i so it's and it starts from this a similar point than as the money book so the, the money book starts from a point where it says we seem to have forgotten this even though we talk about money and economy all the time we seem to have forgotten about this basic question of money how is money where does money come from i feel the same way about men and women there's so much talk about gender and feminism and blah 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 all this and i'm very interested in it i'm very interested in what it means to be a man i'm also partially or somewhat interested in what it means to be a woman but more I'm more interested in what it means to be a man because I am a man myself. So that's a, and I think it's a hugely important topic. At the same time, it's a topic which has been completely neglected by philosophy for a hundred years at least. And then you would then you would think, wow, what are you talking about? There's gender theory everywhere. The problem with gender theory, gender theory is the equivalent. Well, within the field of yeah, so these issues of men and women, gender theory is the equivalent of neoclassical economics. They are, they're, they're so similar, so similar. And, 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 and just like neoclassical economics kind of talks about economy all the time and money and stuff, and yet it kind of forgets the most important question, which is where does money come from? What is money? Where does it come from? All that. And it's the same with gender theory. It kind of forgets the most important question, which is what's the meaning of being a man? Or what's the meaning of being a woman for that matter? That question or those two questions are completely, it's impossible. As soon as you've said the word gender, you can't ask these questions. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do is to say, first of all, I want to talk about these issues and not use the word gender. And secondly, I will, I'm trying to write this book only about men. 
So I, I'm not saying very much or anything on trying to say as little as possible about what it means to be a woman. Mm-hmm. I think that someone else has to write that book. Maybe someone has already written it, could be. But, but I want to address this question of the meaning of being man. What does that actually mean? Yeah. Uh, so, unless, uh, yeah, unless there's anything else you'd like to add uh, or something we've missed. <laughs> oh, I think you missed a lot. <laughs> I feel like I, yeah, that I, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. And I, I will say, I mean, having someone read your work like you have read mine is just a, <laughs> it's a huge privilege. It's a huge privilege. So I'm extremely grateful for that. And I think, um, I think for me, it was just like, since you're yeah, so familiar with it, I just, I couldn't help so just taking the opportunity to just dive into it. So uh, I apologize for if I have digressed a little bit and then I don't really mean that when it comes to it, but, but I really enjoyed the conversation uh, and it's, and, and it was also a chance for me to sort of revisit some of my old thoughts. So, uh, yeah, thank you.